Hi, welcome to the Neshamas podcast. We at Neshamas are on a mission to promote mental and emotional health within our community. Among the many ways we do this is by empowerment through education. This podcast is where we get to listen to personal experiences of those who have been affected by mental illness, the pain, the struggle to get better, and today, by the grace of God, have emerged with a message of hope and healing. My name is Moshe Khanen. I am a grateful addict in recovery, and I am a certified life and addiction recovery coach. I'm here to encourage vulnerability and allow for hope to emerge from the internal journeys we share. Please join me, hear the stories of these heroes, and know that you are not alone. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Nishamas Podcast. Today, we are honored to have Shlemy Fuchs. He is the husband and father of a son and is currently a mashpia in the famous yeshiva Beis Menachem of Wilkesbury, which is now located in the Poconos. He's here to share his story of experiencing life struggles with anxiety and addiction and what happened that turned his life around and how today he continues to grow and keeps his mental health and his spiritual health a priority in his life. And what he does today to maintain that. Please welcome me and welcome me, folks. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. It's really Shlemy and I go back a little while, and it was a couple of years ago where he shared with me that he's sober and he had some dramatic events that led up to that. And he's still sober till today, and he has a unique story. But at the same time, much of his story we can relate to once we look into the inside. Slimey, will you please just invite us into what it was like growing up for you, just to paint the picture? Thanks. Yes. Okay, so there's a lot on my mind, and I'm going to do my best to have faith in God that everything's going to come out exactly as it should. I grew up in Crown Heights, and... I guess just the typical Chabad family, or not, or not so typical nowadays, very strong on the principles and values about Tyra and the Rebbe, which today a lot of it I am very thankful for. But just this specific environment that I was in, whether it be at school or at home or, or around the neighborhood, eventually led me to experience and, and feel certain feelings and, and view myself in a certain way that caused tremendous inner pain based on how I viewed myself. I, from, one, from a very young age, I knew I had a talent for singing. And I had a brother who made it into Miami Boys Choir, which in our family was a, was a big deal. We really loved Miami Boys Choir. We're all very musical, love the songs. And my hope was to make it in, but that didn't happen. However, thanks to my father, I, I was able to get into Ellie Lipsker's choir which was definitely not high up on, on the popularity scale and professionalism, but it definitely gave me, it gave me that the early in my life, I was in third grade, I was the youngest boy in the choir. I was like, I think I was eight or nine. It gave me the ability to shine. I was a soloist. I had a couple solos. And I think that felt really good. And I discovered that, that was, that was a big part of me. I brought out a lot from within me. But as um, I started getting older, I, I always... I wanted to be accepted and loved and comfortable with myself. 
from the youngest, it goes very far back. I don't remember what age I started really being aware of that, but I think it's something that's just very inherent in everybody. And I felt it when I was, was very young. And I think that because I wasn't receiving it from those who were around me, and I'm not sure why, I started to, I started to change my behavior in order to get attention. And I guess like really a lot of that took place in yeshiva because that's where, as a from Lubavitcher, that's where I spent most of my hours, most of my year, most of my life, up until sixth or seventh grade when I finally was introduced to the streets. And what led me there was that I just was very I misbehaved. I wanted to be different than everybody in yeshiva. The only people I would probably join forces with are the other, what they call troublemakers who go against the tide and hang on to the gym longer and play basketball and or bring fire into yeshiva or whatever they call real big trouble than ditching school, going to Prospect Park in the middle of yeshiva, having exposure to movies and other things, not of clean content on the internet, and just being involved in that kind of stuff, theft and shoplifting and climbing roofs. And I guess that's like a lot of the trouble that I was up to when I was young. Um, okay to ask you to just take a step back. And I was wondering, there might be some insight there. When you got up on stage and you got to be part of the choir, what was that like a solution for you internally? What was it like when you didn't have access to being seen? I'm assuming it's being seen, but yeah. Can you just say what was outside of being in the choir and what was being in the choir? So outside of being in the choir, I, I felt that I wasn't being recognized and I wasn't able to express myself. I was a little distant from myself and I didn't really feel whether it was then or around that time, I already really didn't feel good in my, with myself, feeling comfortable in my skins. I was always trying to compensate or I was really thirsty for approval. Mm. So in the choir, there was a moment where it felt like there was an authentic satisfaction with being me, being heard, expressing myself. And yeah, that's, I, think, I feel like that's what, it really, that's what it really did. And how long did that last? That whole it lasted for a little bit of that year because there's quite there's rehearsal and then you had a few days of the week, so it's it's on my mind. It's something that that I that I'm thinking about it's the choir practice and then there's the performances and then that was just I think that year and the year after and then I took a break. There was no opportunity to be in a choir for whatever reason. I just didn't continue there. The next time I joined the choir was, I think when I was 13 or 14 years old. Mm -hmm. There's Sparks Boys Choir. And then in the next yeshiva I moved over to, they had a choir there. And one of the teachers in the yeshiva, Danny Finkelman, ran this uh, choir at that point. So that's, that was the next time I got to do that. And what led you to just go back to where you were holding earlier? So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, how were you like getting kicked out of class, which ended up introducing you to the street? Kicked out of class and then asked to leave yeshiva and then come back and then leave and then Whoa. my parents wanted me to come back just for misbehavior, not doing well on tests, disrespect, even though I actually went through my, I found the stack of my report cards a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago. And I see that the truth is a lot of the teachers really believed that I had good, I had midis tevis. I had good, I was a person of values. I was respectful. So the truth is, I, and I believe that's taka how I was. But I guess when something was really pushing me to break free, I had to even go against my nature. To, to shine. And that's what, that's how it was able to happen because I think by the way, I, I am a behaved individual. I like following the, if something's right and I'm respected and I, and, uh, and I'm given that, 
I guess that openness and that kind of embracing feeling from a person, I'm gonna I'm I'm going to behave. I'm going to be respectful. I'm gonna be happy. I'm not gonna try to go against the rules or against anybody, even if it's a rigid atmosphere, because I'm given that kind of respect and that 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 approval and that embrace. So speaking about that, there was one teacher. His name was Rabbi, his name is Rabbi Reinitz, my fourth grade teacher. And I'll never forget, but the way he introduced us to that year it was very different than any year I had in Oliterra and Yeshiva. From before then and then after that as well, he was the one teacher that stands out, had a major impact till today on my life. And he said, as we enter the classroom, he had two pens in his hand. He had a blue pen and a red pen. And he picked up the blue pen and he said, I really hope that my ink constantly finishes so I have to buy more blue pens. And he didn't talk about the red pen. We understood. He didn't even make mention of the negative. He, he showed us how much good he wants to bring out of us. And then that was just the beginning. Throughout the year, he was like the only teacher probably in the whole yeshiva who, who came with the idea that we should have color war in school for three days, split up the class into teams, and we had plays, and we had songs, and we had chants, and everything. This is all in yeshiva. It doesn't happen. And he had uh, talent shows where each individual was, had, was, was given the opportunity to shine. And that's also where he, he, he was the one, he was very involved in bringing out my musical talent, my singing. And mm. What so. did each one of these things mean to you? The idea of him showing just the blue pen, the idea of him. That's yeah. what, dom, what, what definitely sticks out the most is that I matter and that I have a lot of good to, to share with the world and that I'm a good individual. I'm good. I'm just, I'm worth it. That's, those are the, that, those are the things that stand at the forefront of my mind right now about him. That's what he taught me. That's what he brought out. And how did that affect you as a student? That year automatically, etc. automatically that year was one of my better years. And when I see him, he moved out of Crown Heights. And when he comes in for Yom Tovim, I, I see him every few years. I, I bump into him and we talk openly. And he still asks me how I'm doing with specific things I was going through then. He knew what was going on at home. He knew what things I was challenging, that, that I was challenged with. And he wanted to hear from me. He had a real interest in, in helping me out without like, any agenda. So I guess that's really, that's what it was for me. Continuing on, I'll just fast forward. The years that passed after that year, every year was pretty much disastrous. I feel like the teachers, the main thing were that the teachers didn't have much control over what was going on. And I feel like it's, it could be because they just didn't, they didn't feel in control themselves. And they were either absent or let the class do their own thing. And when there's trouble, there, there isn't like a response. There isn't one-on-one -on -one talking, trying to figure out What's going on underneath my troublemaking? What's going underneath my chutzpah or my rebelliousness? So therefore, they just led me to do more, more of it. And my goal at that point was just get me kicked out so my parents can't make me go to yeshiva. Because if I'm kicked out, I'm not allowed back in. And then I have to find another school, which I was willing to do. I had no problem being in school. I just didn't want to be there. At that point, I spent probably five hours a day in the gym. I got pretty good at basketball then. But something that I really, I spent a lot of time doing then. It was like a drug also. It helped me feel good, but it was more like an escape just not to be anywhere else. And met a couple boys in the gym. We would play together. And by the time I, I got to seventh grade, I was basically on my way out. And the next year they said, if you want to come back, you gotta, you're going to be left back a grade. 
you're going to stay in seventh grade again. And I came for one day and that was it. I went home and then I was on the streets for about five months. Can you explain what that means on the streets? So you're 12 years old. Yeah. Like where are you going? What are you doing? I, I was 12 or 13. I don't okay. recall exactly. But during that time, I was asked to not be home during the day because I chose not to go to yeshiva. So I would just spend so many hours in my own head on the streets, riding my bike in the beginning, just constantly thinking I'm bored. I don't feel like I have a life. I feel ashamed that I'm that kid that's not in yeshiva because I just felt people are going to look at me badly. And uh, I always had one companion that was with me in, in, in my troubles, with my troubles, doing the trouble with me. And that year, the shoplifting just like really became almost like my expertise. I didn't have money and the way I got clothing and the way I really had my fun was, was doing that. And inside, there was a lot of guilt. I tried blocking out that feeling. And right. that was pretty much what the year was like. That goes back to what you were saying earlier. Like, really, you have, and you're committed to having, like, uh, pure character traits of being good and behaving. So that yeah. guilt is still alive. It's just volume turned off, mute, shut down in a box so that you can continue doing what you need to do in order to survive. Exactly. And that's why I always went through stages. Like I shuffled through stages. Like my father was a teacher and he still is. At that point, he, he had been teaching in a new yeshiva and he was always open for me coming and helping him out. I think he really had this, this uh, desire for me to at least be productive and do something and be safe and not be in a dangerous environment. He knew the people I was hanging out with on, when I was on the streets were not good influences on me and were also like aimless in what they were doing. So when I used to come sometimes and help them in the class and a few days of the week, it could be really helped me at that point. And yeah, it wasn't like a relationship builder, but it did keep me, it did keep me busy and it allowed me to see how really young students in their purity, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, just innocently having fun, being happy. And I was really thinking into that. It, it did bring... It brought some good out of me. But then, again, as I say, it was like a sh it was like shuffling in and out. I was like. It's also so ironic. You as an innocent 13-year-old looking at innocent 5-year-olds as if yeah. you're not innocent. These kids I, are. So I, I, at that point, I was just like, if you saw me, you'd see like a person frowning, not laughing so much. And I was really like turning off also from Yiddishkeit. Like that was the start point, starting point where it's filling in the basic things that I never like questioned because I never had a problem with it. And even then I didn't have a problem with it. And then it wasn't a problem. It was just, I was so dead inside. It, was, it just became a burden. I was like, okay, if it's going to burden me, I, I, at that, I think that there's the inner motivation at that point is I want to be free. I want to be free to be myself. I want to be accepted. I want to show everybody that, I, that I'm a something. I'm a somebody. And with the shoplifting, I think that was like it brought out like I'm tough. Look, you know how I got that? I got that sweater. I got it with five fingers. Like I had a way how to like brag about my expertise and I really wanted to shine. But inside I was so pure and felt so bad about it. Mm -hmm. And some of the other things I was doing, the... Also, the stealing didn't ju wasn't just limited to the stores. It was almost everybody that I knew. Chances are I had some of their money in my pocket without them knowing. 
even family members, even my parents. And uh, later on, I took steps into trying to rectify that a little bit. Speaking openly to the people that I've mistreated and taken their property and try to return some of it and still working on fixing the rest of that. But as I said, I, was, I, I, I wasn't on a constant low. It was like, an, it was like ups and downs. There's a, there's a force within me of resilience and of wanting to do what's right. And therefore, when I hit a really like hard low, let's just say it was because I got into another fight with my parents. And I, which happened often because here I am, I'm, I'm behaving differently than what they hoped for. And I'm not, and what I'm involved in is not, is just not, it's, it's unbecoming. And in a lot of regards, it's immoral. It's not disrespectful and rebellious. And you also mentioned earlier, also dangerous. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And to, to, to move forward, because just to keep it within a time frame, it's Hashem. My, right. It's just one thing you said that there were times when you hit a really low bottom. Yeah, and then I wanted to rise up again and do something to redeem yourself. Yeah, mm. yeah. And so I remember when so I was. What would what would redeeming yourself look like? So when I was twelve. Yeah. Which is I think during this time period, it, it, I was involved in these things even when I was still in yeshiva, but a lot less because I was in a better environment for the most part, or a more Jewish environment. People are watching you a more supervised environment. Mm-hmm. Now there's no supervision. There's a way to get around everything when you're not, I guess when you're on the streets. So the first thing that I did, I remember this is very pure. This is just a very pure, innocent, I don't have a way to explain it otherwise. I went to a rough as a 12 year old, or maybe I was 13, I don't remember the age. And I told him how bad I feel about what I'm doing. I'm like, it's just terrible. No one told me that it's terrible. I'm telling myself, I don't feel happy with what I'm doing. He's like, what happened? And I started telling him how much I'm stealing and you know, thousands of dollars as I'm so young. I don't know how I have access to all that. And I told him, like, I really wanna, I wanna start fresh. I wanna clean up. I wanna, you know, clean slate. I wanna do better. And he was so understanding. <laughs> he's a rub, he's a moil in Crown Heights. I don't know him, but he was so understanding. I met him at the right time and I was so young. He just listened. I don't remember. He probably said a couple inspiring things from him that he in order to help me. Oh, I'm so and curious. Like, how did you know he was approachable? I guess I didn't feel threatened by him. He, was, uh, he had that embracing appearance. Is there anything you can remember that gave you the impression that he's a safe person to talk to? No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, yeah, I'm not sure. And I don't know how I ended up in that shoal. And he was the only one sitting there and there was nobody in the shoal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I was going in there to try to steal. I'm not sure what it was. It was on a Shabbos. And it was a Shabbos that I know what I was up to. I was doing a lot of a lot of desecration of Shabbos, a lot of breaking Shabbos and carrying money. And the things I was involved in probably it was I was just like binging on on negative energy and on negative experiences and just like really tarnishing my innocence. And and that Shabbos was like the first move that I did and I was open, I was vulnerable. That's the moment I also saw how vulnerable I could be and how honest I could be. And I was, always, I was always incredibly honest. Even when I was lying, I always had to make up for it and let the person know like it wasn't true. I, I felt like I'm going against myself by, against my true self by lying. And I can never really be helped if I'm going to lie. I'll never be, actually be accepted. I'll never actually be loved if I'm not honest. To fast forward ahead a little bit, I, as I said, I was on the streets for a while and I ended up joining a choir. And the teacher, the director of this choir, was a teacher in that yeshiva and he was able to get me in. I really wanted to go there because I felt it was more 
they were more easy with you and nicer and just very different environment than what I have known until then. And I joined this choir. He really believed in me. And again, I was a soloist. He brought out the best in me. And I one time cried to him that I really want to join this yeshiva. I wanted to be around him more and around this environment more. And I felt it is definitely, I was lessening my, my spiritual and religious commitment at that point. But for the other aspects, the acceptance, the shining, the feeling loved and embraced, that would be a good place for me. And he literally came to my house and spoke to my parents one night. I heard him from downstairs. I was eavesdropping, literally trying to get me in to yeshiva. My parents allowed it. And I went I was there for almost two years. It was a very positive time for me. At that point, understandably, as I was growing up, I started getting more into, I was more drawn to females. I was more drawn to just naturally. I don't know from, I don't know from which influences. I, I started looking for that. And I know clearly it wasn't just a regular, as much as it's, it's hormones and as a teenager developing and it's healthy to be drawn to a woman. I know by me, it was much more relationship oriented. I wanted love. I wanted approval. I wanted acceptance. And I was really digging for it more. I'm in the opposite gender, maybe because I felt like there I would have salvation. There I'll finally shine. I'll be fully accepted. I'll feel good about myself. And I know that's where it was coming from. I was very aware of it. And there was a lot of obsession involved. You know, one particular woman who was looking for me and gets, gets around in yeshiva. People are talking about it. Like, Oh, we heard that she likes you and she put a heart on one of your pictures and whatever, blah, blah, blah. When you say a woman, are you talking about a girl? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. <laughs> really a girl. Young. We were very young then. Yeah, okay. I finished that year. As I said, very positive time. I had a good relationship with the yeshiva, with the teachers, with Don Hala. And they brought out tremendous good. They brought so much good out of me. And my mother found this yeshiva in Israel. This is where a big, this is where a major movement in my life took place for the, for the negative. And the yeshiva that you were before that prior, that was, which yeshiva was that? Darche Menachem. Darche Menachem, okay. Yeah. And yeah, particularly one, two, two individuals there really were seeking out my, my, my well-being and asked me else what was going on at home. And really what? took me out to try to help me. Is there any, you had a certain self-concept, right? I don't know why I keep getting pulled to that, but what did they show you or prove to you about yourself? Again, that I'm strong, I'm good, I matter, I'm capable, I'm admirable. Yeah? Yeah. It's very clear to me. And then when I moved on to, to Eretz Yisrael, my mother found this yeshiva for me. It sounded like the magical place. Half a day of learning Limudi Kodesh. As I said, I was less interested in, in that at that point. But uh, the one thing that Darachman did bring out of me is actually, I should mention that, is that I started really, I started learning more about how spiritual I am. That's why I really, I was drawn to davening. What, whatever I was thinking about, I was drawn to it. Without having to work hard on it, it was something more a natural space for me to go to. When I went to Israel, I, I guess that part of me that I discovered, I was still very confident that that's something I would like to pursue. I just don't want to, I want to have my spiritual space. I want to daven. I want to have my relationship with God. 
which I felt strongly in my life all the time. And even tshuva, the whole idea of returning and bettering myself. I always, at, at that point, I spoke to the Rav as a 12, 13-year-old. That was a spirit that, that, that moved me. And I went to Israel. I went to this school. It sounded like a magical place. I have a half a day of Limud Kaidash, half a day of, uh, which is learning Judaism, and a half a day of, uh, I don't know, not Limud not secular studies, but maybe you could play music, you could learn woodwork, you could learn like a vocational school. And it was, sounded very promising and exciting to me. Also, I, I was with, with a few friends over there that I knew already before I left. Yeah, one of them being your brother, actually, <laughs> who I'm close with till today. And he was actually there for me. And he was really, he always has been. And from the day that I entered that yeshiva, it just really wasn't going well. At that point, I, I was already in touch with a girl. And it was like right before I left for Israel. It probably happened during the summer, after the summer, during Tishrei, during the Yom Tev. I was in Crown Heights then. I had more time to really mess around with that. And then when I went to Israel. How old you then? 16? I think I'm like, no, 14, 15. Wow, okay. Yeah. I, we were in touch long distance, but I'm not allowed to have a phone in yeshiva. And the only phone I have is like a dumb phone that just works in Israel. I had an iPod touch that I could catch Wi-Fi, but there's no Wi-Fi anywhere around that yeshiva. So we lost touch for a while. And, but I was always thinking about it and there was a lot of distractions in my mind. Also the music I was listening to was all about women, all about those ideas, which it, I was living in that world. I still had my spiritual space. I was still worked on my davening, but they were very, they're very boxed. If I don't have a better way to explain it, you had to live up to a certain standard or they're not going to work with you. It's a different place. It's a different country. They speak a different language. It's not an American yeshiva. They don't speak in English. They speak in Hebrew. My parents are Israeli. My father was born as my mother was pretty much raised a lot of her life in Israel. They spoke Hebrew at home. So I had that kind of running through me. But to be there 24-7 with that mentality, I don't think I mentioned this before, but as a very sensitive individual, I'm sensitive, I guess, that I'm a sensitive soul. And I also sense things. and very, I just, I guess, sensible. And... Over there, they were very like hardcore. You know, if you're going out of line, they come, cra they come crashing on you. Unless you're like a strong individual with a strong personality, they might let you go. But as for me, I got locked in my room quite a few times because I didn't wake up on time. What, they have a key from the outside and they lock? Yeah, and they lock because you got to get up at a certain hour. The whole atmosphere to me did feel very much like prison. I felt imprisoned. I felt like I cannot possibly be me in this place. And therefore, Two, three months in, I was begging to leave. I never felt like I wanted to break out of a place as much in my life. And it took a lot of effort because my parents spent a lot of money sending me there, the tuition, the flights cost money. I'm going to leave. What's going to happen next? I've already done a lot of trouble in the past. My parents are fed up with all this. So I really had to make a fight. I really had to like, I had to fight with a lot of people to get out of there. But that was like, my number one goal was not what's going to happen next or where am I going to go next? It was just get me out of here. I want to be free. Again, a very dominant desire that I had, freedom. And so I tried a different maneuvering, different things. Eventually, I, again, I got myself kicked out. 
how I did exactly what I, I picked. I, I did the things that to them are the biggest red flags. And they basically told me, you got to go. And that's how they just dropped me like that. And I had to figure out, I had to carry all my luggage all the way up, like, I don't know, an hour walk. They literally just dropped me. We don't want you here. Get out of here. You're really, you're going against this whole yeshiva's like, you're going against everything we stand for. And I was like, no problem. I felt it was the biggest blessing for me that they're letting me go. I, I wanted to get out. So I think this, is a very, this was a, a brand new phase in my life. I got to America with no plan and a fresh stage. Much more. The girl I was talking with when I was in Israel, that ended. It was an ugly ending. It was very hurtful. But I, and I guess all I could say is it contributed a lot to, to my low self-worth and feeling very ashamed and very lowly about myself and how it ended. So I was also leaving with that. That happened while I was in Israel and it happened while I wasn't able to be so in touch. It's like you come to these conclusions. I don't know if this is the case, but what I'm seeing is that, oh, I guess I'm that kid that gets kicked out of school. I'm that person that gets yeah. dumped. Yes, yeah. and it starts actually forming. Exactly, exactly. And I'm nice to people. And I get stepped upon. So maybe I shouldn't be nice. Exactly. And I think that was like a fresh stage. I felt free like a bird <laughs> on the plane. There was a screen and I literally just binge watched TV, all the music videos they had because I couldn't do it in yeshiva. It was very difficult. Now for the, last, for the next few months, I was literally just as much as I could. Freedom, give me anything. I already started quickly lessening my commitment to Yiddishkeit because whatever brought me freedom, anything that's a burden, get it off of me. So if a day I felt a particular connection, I saw my brother was also more spiritual. I saw him sometimes put on to fill on a daven. He had some values. There were days where I felt like I also want to do that. But if it wasn't a burden, as long as it was a day that I felt like I'm in the right space for a good, otherwise I went a couple months without it. And other aspects of Yiddishkeit just faded. Because I, I just I had one desire, freedom, acceptance. I want people to like me. I'm going to prove to them that I'm likable, I'm admirable. I want to have the best life. I want to be free and I'll do whatever it takes. Thankfully, I had some chachma, so a little bit of uh, insight with the help of some people, my brother and some others, not to take drugs and also not to lose my virginity. So there were, those are like two things that I don't know. They just pulled through to me and like pillars that held me, kept me together, not to smoke marijuana, not to take anything harder than that. I was drinking to have fun. Only one reason I was able to think about that, have fun, feel good about myself, less self-conscious, open. I could get so wild. I could scream. I could dance. I could, I could sing. I could even be aggressive. I could be tough. I could be like, like you were saying before. That's, I was really trying to create myself. And I had this like image of this new image being formed of who I am after all those experiences in the past. And I also, at that point, my parents stepped out as I'm like, they're allowing me to make my own choices. They're waiting for me. Until then, there was a lot of complications. There was, they were trying to figure things out and they didn't know what to do about it. And I totally understand it. So yeah, they stepped out. They allowed me to do my, my thing. And that's what I did for a year, whole year. I partied. I. I was hanging out with girls. There were plenty of people that were, that were letting me be me. 
And so whoever was letting me be me, as long as it wasn't super dangerous, because I wasn't, I didn't lose my senses. And I wasn't trying to do heavy drugs. I wasn't trying to completely mess up my life. I just, I wanted to feel good, be accepted, be free. And whoever, I guess, gave me that feeling, I went for it. And again, yeah, it's hard to know the difference between pleasure and happiness. At that point in my life, I wasn't really sure. I did a lot of pleasurable things that are harmful. Then my drinking addiction just started beginning. It wasn't, it was the beginning of it. It wasn't intense. It wasn't an everyday thing. It was just to really celebrate and have fun with friends and help me create myself to find my place in the world. How did you support that habit, the partying, the drinking? How uh, was that? How did you, where'd you find it? Like, how did you support yourself? You didn't have a job? Just wondering, like, how did you support? So a lot, for a lot of things, I didn't have to pay. That's part of the fun. When you have a couple of friends that are working and they're going to support it, they're going to supply it. And I, I went from like little small jobs. I made a little pocket money. I had a little savings. At that point, I did absolutely no theft, no shoplifting. I was 15, 16, 15. Grew my hair out long, was very into my looks, and I got attention for it, which made me feel very good. Because in my experience, it's something that I was lacking, as I said before. The approval, the respect, the you matter. I got it from a few individuals, but it wasn't the, the dominant force in my life, the dominant influence in my life. It wasn't coming from that place. So here I found ways that are easy and they work. And that's what I was doing for that year. And I find that to be just a place where I got pretty filthy and got involved with filth and things that I don't, I just feel are not, I wasn't being myself, but I was making choices and being free and making my own decisions, which I think that's probably the one good thing that came out of all that. And I got into a, a relationship again. Because again, that's always what I was looking for. I, beyond the parting and the having fun, if I was able to have one person, I could be, I could have that open con- uh, relationship with, feel loved by them. I could be I, me with them. Yeah. Exactly. Let yourself be seen. Yeah. And so that's what I did. We were young, so whatever. It definitely opened up my eyes a little that there that it does exist. But I think as I was maturing, I'm a deep individual, so. I think deeper. I think on what's going on under the surface. What am I really looking for? How am I really going to find it? And that summer, I've tried being involved in different youth programs. Very, no commitment. I went for a week here, a week there. I built some good connections. I met some great mashpim at that point. I had good mentors. There's one individual that I'm confident and happy to say. His name is Rabbi Yaska Levin, who from that point, that summer, and on the streets, he would see me, talk to me. I had no clue how he knows me, what he, how he, why he wants to talk to me. He had this energy, this force that you're going to make it. You're needed. You're powerful. Something that's undeniable. And one thing I knew is that he's involved in a school in California called Jets. And that planted a seed. That's a place I'd want to be one day. Am I ready yet? Am I going to learn? Am I ready to change myself? And change myself into what? As I said, I looked deeper. I knew that there's something beyond all this. This is freedom. This feels good. But I know that there's deeper. There's things that are more real, more consistent, more solid. They're not going to change. They're not going to. They're not going to. They're not going to wave back and forth in the stormy days and the, and the dark nights. So, the next year after that summer, 
I, I decided to go. I went to Jets. Don't you change your mind? I was hanging around with your brother because he was always, even though we were holding in very different places, different stages in, in every single way. But his home was open and I enjoyed being around him. His spirit was good. He was real. He was awesome. And so I one time went to your house, <laughs> to the Khanan family, and I got introduced to, to, your, to another one of your brothers, who, who at this point is my mentor, my, my personal mashpia. He really held my hand through the rest of the journey up until today. But I saw him. I met your other brother, Isaac. And he was showing me pictures on his laptop of this school that he's in. He was also in Jets. He was a shliach in Jets. And he showed me what they're doing. And something really, like, excited me. I was like, wow. I wasn't sure what I want to do there, but I felt there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of, there's light. That's the light at the end of the tunnel. As good as this is right now, I think that's the stuff I'm really looking for. There's people, there's a family. You could work on yourself. You could learn what you choose to learn. You... As long as you come with some kind of plan, they're there to help you become the best you can be. And obviously, I'm 16 years old. I'm not done with yeshiva. I'm not done with school. I didn't really have a life plan. I knew I needed that. And now I found a place that I feel like there I could really do it. And it was true. I got there and the first month or two, I was struggling a lot because I wasn't ready for, it was a big movement for me. And it took me, I guess it took me time to adapt new people, back in school some kind it's not really a school it's more it's really a youth development program at that point it was very much like that and the staff there were just on a different level i don't know they were just in short when i saw them the way they behaved to each other from isaac to the other people there his friends who came together with him on 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 shlichas that year i saw how they behaved to one another i saw their camaraderie i saw their love their fun and whatever fun I had, I still had, I still was in a relationship with a girl at the time. <laughs> but whatever fun I had up until then, and the way I looked and my, my looks, my appearance, my, my excitement, the music I listened to, my talents and all that, when I looked at them, I was like, dang it, this is really what I'm missing. They're, they're real. They're real with each other. They're open. They're authentic. They're loving. They're fun. They actually have a fun, good life. Not because they're taking anything to get there. Just naturally high off of life. And I didn't think about it so much, but now in retrospect, I know that's exactly what I was experiencing. So I hung out with them naturally. I got really close with them, specifically with Isaac. And he didn't try to dig into me to make me, to help me heal from the past. Because again, that year that I had before then, there was nothing really healing about it. It was just me making choices, me having a fun time, breaking free. But I wasn't really dealing with, with life's challenges. I wasn't really taking responsibility for life. I wasn't really utilizing my gifts. There was a lot of avoidance, but it was enjoyable. And I learned how to make decisions. But he didn't try to tackle me now. Tell me, now you're here, now you're in school. Now it's time to work on yourself. What, are you gonna, what goal do you have this year? Nothing. You just, you want to learn tomorrow morning? So. I felt absolutely no agenda, no threat. I felt that feeling of here's just, a, he's a good guy. So 
he's a good guy and he doesn't need me. He doesn't need me. He wants to be there for me. He doesn't need anything from me. He's not charging. He's not trying to impress me. He's not trying to chase me and, and buy my approval of him. Nothing like that. Nothing. I started the next morning, and I think a lot of his guidance and part of his team was this rabbi, Rabbi Yeska Levin. So he was there at that time, very involved in the yeshiva. And we would just sit and learn chassidus. That was the first time I got introduced to chassidus. I learned in yeshiva, we learned Tanya, we learned Kuntur Simayan, we learned the, we went through some of these books. I just never knew what it was, and I never really opened up my eyes and ears to pay attention to it. Of course, I knew what it was, and I knew of it. My father taught me some chassidus when I was younger. He learned with me on Shabbos sometimes, Tyra Er. It wasn't something that really, I didn't claim it. I didn't really tune in. So, yeah, we started learning chassidus. That year was great. I start, I, again, nothing really, no underground work was happening, but just positive energy, positive people, real people, good things. That summer we went to Israel. I was hesitating greatly because of the experience I had in Israel. That made me leave Israel. I really didn't want to go back. But because they were just so awesome and him and his team just so energetic and they ran this program in Israel, VIP Bachram. I went there. I had an amazing experience. And in fact, that summer, I changed forever because I woke up to my identity as a Jew. I claimed my Yiddishkeit. And ever since then, I, something changed in me. Something was revealed in me. It was like over time, there was like, what, you cut your hair? Did you start like slowly putting on tefillin every day? As I said, I had that spiritual Stop. space that I always had. In Israel, that space expanded took more of my day. And when you feed it, it, it gets healthier. It grows. So I started wearing tzitzis and I started committing more. Not because I was making necessarily a decision to, just because that's what was coming out of me. Something very deep within me was awakening. It was so real and that's why I wanted it. I was thinking about, we're by the Kaisal, I was thinking about, here there was the base of Mikdash 2,000 years ago. All those thoughts started really bringing out that from within me. So after that summer, I became religious, fully religious, but it was stages. I went back to Jets another year. I really sat down and learned, did my studies, got more involved, committed more, started doing outreach, which is also another game changer when I start bringing it to other people. But just remember that all this time, as much as good is coming out, I still didn't address the pain that's lingering underneath. And I, the truth is I was like unaware of it until the middle of my second year in Jets. When I went back, I started getting anxiety. It was sudden. It wasn't a slow process. It just, it landed on me. I didn't know what it was. Oh, okay. I was going to ask what, if you knew No what clue. It was. It, it was definitely the, the one thing that I knew was, is I'm just afraid of what might happen. Not a physical danger, not that a tiger is chasing after me or anything. And just a negative energy dominated me all the time. That things are not going to work. You're not good. You're no good. Where are these voices coming from? I never thought about myself like that. Or I don't remember thinking about myself like that when I was younger. I remember I was struggling with that. With looking for that approval, trying to feel good about myself. I never really did anything to address that, to really work on that. And it just attacked me. And it got more and more intense because I was trying to avoid it and fight it in whichever way I could. It tired me out. How were you fighting, fighting it? I was telling myself, don't think about it. Don't think about those scary. It's scary. Stay away from that. 
the first time it happened, obviously I, I went to the principal and I told him what's happening to me. And I felt like maybe I'm getting a heart attack or something. I don't know what's going on. And panic. And I wasn't getting that many panic attacks then, but it got more intense with time. Worries. What am I going to do in the future? How am I going to make money? How am I going to support my family? How am I going to have a real position in society? What am I going to do? <laughs> what career? Those were the, that was the beginning of it. And it started literally flowing into many other areas of my life. Pretty much anything I tried taking on, that voice came in. You're no good. You're never going to get good at this. What if people are not happy with uh, what you're doing? What if you're not going to be perfect at it? What if you're going to mess up and you're going to fail? Oh, no. And then it started scaring me. And the more I thought about that, I dug it deeper and deeper. And so for the first time, I went to therapy. I didn't commit for a long enough time. So the most it gave me is a little bit of an understanding of what's happening to me, but didn't do much work. My number one solution was I got to go somewhere else. Maybe there will be easier to deal with this. My challenges then wasn't so much about spiritual things that are involving Yiddishkeit and religion. It was more like the inner qual the quality of my life started being challenged. How I feel about myself, how I feel, my energy level, my, my happiness. Was drinking something that was able to help with that? I'm just wondering, like, where's your drinking holding? So at that year by Farbringens, I was able to take a little here, a little there. And I felt better. A little free. A little bit. I'm loosening up. And then I started doing it more. And nobody knew why I'm doing this because I wasn't a, just a hard, conspicuous, hard drinker. I, I was more humble about it, quiet about it. I drank and I wanted to get real and open up and feel good about myself. And that's what I was trying to do. So that year it, it started up again. And then my first year, the alcohol wasn't really something I thought about. First year when I had my spiritual awakening in the summer and everything for a few months, I was naturally high. I was feeling so good. It blocked out any negative negativity over shadowed any, let's just say it lit up. The light was so bright. I didn't feel what's really happening under the ground. But now the drinking started becoming a thing. And that year I decided that the, by that summer, I'm like, I got to move on. I got to get out of here. I don't know why. I can't be here anymore. I got to go get a job. I got to work. I got to go do things on my own. So maybe um, deep down, what I'm assuming, but I'm asking you, maybe deep down what you're saying is I can't continue feeling this way anymore. And hopefully yeah. moving and doing something, changing something will help me not feel this yeah. way. Yeah, whatever is going to, one thing that was on my mind 24-7, praying for it, hoping for it, the magical button illusion. <laughs> if I press it, just get me away from here. I don't want to feel like this. Let me feel what I felt when I was in Israel. Just always feeling good about myself. Not doubting myself. I get, get me away from here. I didn't know where it was coming. I didn't know how deep it is inside in, in my mind. How deep it is in my heart. And so deep, such deeply seated things from my childhood. And of course, I was talking to my mentors. I was asking a lot of people what to do about it. I wasn't quiet about it. I was getting obsessions with many things. Dictionaries, because I wanted to get better at English. So I sat with a dictionary all day, learning words. But really what I was doing is trying to silence that anxiety. I'll show you. I could do better. Look, I'll get perfect at this. Didn't help. I got more obsessive. And then when I started playing more music, I got into piano. I started playing all those things, dancing, all my qualities, all my gifts. I started questioning. I started doubting it. I started getting obsessive about it. 
and I'm not doing it good enough. I have to put in more work and I'm trying so hard. I see it's not possible. So I just give up. I get tired from it. And then I start beating myself up. Why I'm not getting, why am I doing what I'm good at? I get afraid to deal with that now because I'm getting back to that feeling of anxiety and, I don't, and I'm trying to get away from it. So I left Jets and I moved to Wilkes-Barre the next year. The night before I went to Wilkes-Barre, I got so smashed. I came to Yeshiva on a hangover. I basically decided I don't want to go anymore. But I just went. I went in with this. I went in so unstably that I wasn't going to last because of how much I was drinking at that time and why I was drinking at that time. I was, how much I was going through inside. That's what I should really say. Uncomfortable with myself, just anxious all the time, panicking, dealing with sadness, depression here and there. It was never a long lasting thing. It was mainly anxiety, but it leads to depression. I found myself in that state too. A lot of times turned off. I don't want to eat. I don't want to do anything. I'm tired. I don't want to get out of bed. So when I came to Wilkes-Barre the next year, I was 18 at the time. I lasted for a week and I chose to leave because I, I, I just couldn't, I simply couldn't be, I guess, in a productive atmosphere where everybody's working on themselves and everybody's really getting ahead and everyone's really making a move in life. And I'm struggling with all those inner feelings. So I thought that and I also I was a little ashamed and also I felt a little embarrassed that I'm going to be dealing with it. everybody else is doing good and whatever, comparing myself to everybody. So I spoke to the rabbi in the yeshiva and I made the decision to, to go home. And my, what I said I was going to do is start working on my problems and get therapy. And, and what ended up happening really that year is that I just, my drinking was out of control. That was, it was drinking and it was masturbating. Two things that to me were like the, the solution to feel more at ease. And I, that's the answer to where my addiction for both things, but the more vicious addiction, alcohol. I, just, I was drinking on my own. I was taking it to my room. Whatever it took for me to just feel more open, I feel more calm, I feel relaxed. Self-medicating. Yeah. Yeah, it's essentially what I was doing. I wasn't looking to do trouble at that point. I wasn't looking to just party. That's not what was on my mind. I got more serious in life. I found, I knew which direction I wanted to go in. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And all those anxieties, even though I was in a good direction, was is what was getting me to want to silence it. Another part of me wants to silence all those feelings. And I, for me, that was alcohol. And over time, I started, I tried stopping and I started realizing I can't stop. Why did I want to stop? Because I realized it's not productive. It's not really producing that which I want. The anxiety comes back after stronger. So it's not healing the problem. It's not, it's not the right solution. So it escalated. And I was getting more and more suicidal at that point also. Nothing major. I never really spoke about it out loud, but... There was one perm. I went to some of the parties, the perm parties in the community, and I got so wasted that it started coming out, all the pain. I was crying like a child about my pain. And I drank so much and so it all started pouring out that I was ready to go hurt myself. And I started running. And I was talking about things. I'm going to end my life. I'm going to end my life. I was held down. Atsala came. They didn't take me to the hospital. They took me to, to your brother. He was engaged at that point and he was staying at your parents. So he, he took me to, they took me to, to his house. And that's where I was for the next day or two. And the next morning I woke up and my, my first, and obviously nasty throw up all over tears, crying. My clothing are wet from tears and 
throw up and everything. And I just, I look at myself in a very mature way. And I told myself, why are you seeing the sunshine today? Why are you still here? And almost like an answer coming from God, right in my mind. I don't know where it came from. Some deep conviction. Remove yourself from this lifestyle and start getting to work. You're here. It's time to start working on it in the proper way. Go get help. And I knew who I could call right away. I called the principal of Jets. I'm drowning. I want to come back. It was really late in the year. It was already after Perm. After Pesach, he said you could come. That's when they're coming home from break. So I went back. And that was my journey to sobriety. And that was my... That was that your last drink? That My last drink was that night where I was speaking about hurting myself. And I, I was really acting on it and forced to stop, stop. I was stopped from hurting myself. The next morning I woke up, I think I realized how... I guess that was my rock bottom. How long I've been drinking, acting out drinking, I'm going to stop. I'm lying to myself. I'm not, I'm not doing it ever again because it's not the right way to deal with your anxiety. The next morning I'm drinking again. So I felt like I was getting so distant from myself and I'm covering up so much. And it's time to address it. It's time to do whatever it takes to get better. So what did day one, day two, day three look like? It was a bit of a, like I was on training wheels. Training wheels. How'd you deal with the anxiety? When I say I was on training wheels because I was given inspiration to move. So I didn't feel the anxiety so much. It's, it's still something I was dealing with throughout that whole time. So it's still in my mind because of just what happened and the decision I just made. It gave me a lot of, because of the, like, the akhlat of the decision that like I'm moving myself away from this. Today I'm not going to drink. That's literally how I started. I never said never again. I said, I'm removing myself from this. I don't want to do this today. The next day, I want to do this today. What's the right thing to do? I started talking to people. But like in a real way, this is exactly what I'm going through. I really want to change that. I really want help. And I started connecting right away with, with, uh, with my, my mashpia, your brother, was, uh, was leading me the whole time to the right things to do, how to deal with it. He was always there, always patient, waiting, never controlling me, never, just like in the beginning, but guided me, gave me what I needed, the support and the guidance. So I... When I went back to Jets, I decided when I walked in, I'm coming back next year too. So I did that. Those, the last two months of that year and the whole next year that I came back was very productive. Was, and I inwardly, therapy, meditating, breathing, learning to accept myself, not letting fear make decisions for me. Doing more outreach, talking to more, helping people that were going through what I was going through up until then. And now I'm in a place. So these are the elements that allow you to, it seems, right? So number one is a certain surrender and a hope. And then taking it one day at a time. And then reaching out for help and being honest with people. Yes. And prayer and therapy and meditation and being of service to others. Yeah. And for the probably the first time in my life, applying the Hasidic, the Hasidic philosophy, the, the, the philosophy or the truth, the principles within Hasidus, actually taking them and trying to apply it to myself and the way I think, the way I feel about myself. Not just fighting all day with myself, but actually accepting myself. Actually just being aware of my thoughts and trying to replace them with positive thoughts. Taking the beliefs that are so off the tracks and, and so not realistic, how I think about myself and what I, how I view the world. And instead of just fighting it all day or avoiding it, 
being brave and courageous, which I think I really was at that point, and from God, because whatever that was, when I hit that rock bottom, I was given this willingness that I didn't feel before to get real with myself and, and inside. And that's what I was doing there. You're even taking the, the learning, the chassidus, and, and utilizing it to, to, to cure myself, which ever since then, there's the ups and downs. There has been days where I was about to take a drink, struggling. A few years in, I turned to you, you know, with the help of my sister and, I, and my, my, my mashpia to speak to you because I was really, the anxiety got really strong again and I was getting a little lazy to deal with it the right way. So I was looking for some of the old solutions that were easier, not satisfying and not actually a remedy, but for the moment, there's ease, there's peace. Yeah, short-term painkiller. So yes, I spoke to you and, and then I started going to AA for a while back in California. I went back at that point, I was back in Jets as a mentor, as a shliach, as a be there to be of service to other people. So that year I was doing AA and then when I was back in Crown Heights, I was doing some AA. So I, don't, I wasn't like extremely committed, but I did it as long as I felt like I needed that because what I was doing wasn't enough. And after I stepped out, I got back into the method that I have for myself, the therapy, being strongly connected to my mentor, having a good friend, and doing the service that brings the best out of me, and trying my best not to avoid my talents, but to use them and bolster them, which the more I was doing, the better I was feeling. And I, start, and I saw where the solution is at, and the more I do it, it's a, it's a daily, the work is daily. It's a daily avoida. And there, there's no vacation from the avoida. Part of the avoida is to, have a, is to take a vacation, to give myself, to sharpen the saw. You know? What's your attitude or what's your concept of the avoida? Do you look at it as something burdensome? Do you, is it something you enjoy? Like I'm, I'm wondering about that. It's something that, that there's, there, there are some days when, I don't, when, when I'm, it's like foggy up in my brain. But it brings the best out of me. It's enjoyable, it's fulfilling, it's meaningful. It's hard at times, but it's not a burden. Mm -hmm. And whenever I see it as a burden, it's because I'm getting foggy up in my brain and I have to turn the lights back on in my mind. Like Avoida is doing the work, it's doing the steps, like the 12 steps in AA. It's doing the steps which brings you closer to yourself and brings you to the truth and brings you the, the remedy, brings you salvation, it gives you the freedom. Which is all everything you ever wanted from exactly. being a kid. Yeah. So there's times when it's hard and that's because it, it's a little foggy up in my brain. But when I have some clarity, I start seeing, look at this, such a blessing that I have. These are the tools that are used by many, not because they have addictions, but how how fortunate am I that I'm able to use that also to heal myself. It's not just because what God said when it's the truth and doing those things are what a Jew was brought down for, but I'm able to use it to, to heal myself and actually address big challenges, problems, whatever that I'm going through inside. And those are actually the things that, that, that allow me to get better. It's not just because God said so. It's actually, it heals. Found it to be the right medicine for me. Every day when I put in the work and I do what's, I stick to the plan, it goes very well. Brings the best out of me. It's truly inspiring. Like you just brought us through the whole thing. You were that 
12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year old, and now you today are the Mashbia in the same yeshiva, helping others, which is truly inspirational. Is there any like last message that you'd like to share with either a boy that's struggling or a girl that's struggling or a Mashbia or to a parent, anything? Yes. Community? Yes. First of all, I'm more than happy to give my number to anybody that wants to reach out. I would love to be there. I am here. And don't be afraid to open up. Be brave. Be courageous to open up to someone you trust. Someone, you got to take the leap sometimes. Someone that you trust enough to open up to. It's never going to be perfect. You're never going to have a thousand percent confidence that, that this person is someone you could fully trust. But if you have slightly, you have a glimpse of someone like that, take the leap. Speak to someone. Speak out. Open up. Talk about what's going on. Be honest. And I really think that from there, everything starts getting better because it starts with honesty, MS. That's something, that's a pillar that doesn't bend back and forth. It doesn't break. It doesn't subside when life gets hard, no matter what. So be honest, be open to someone you trust. I'm going to give, Moshe has my number. I would love for everybody to have it. And parents and, children, and, and teens, whoever, look out, this is what I do throughout the day. And in, in the yeshiva. And I'm here. Still working on myself. And I'm here to shed light on those who are working on, on themselves. So that's why I'm doing this. I guess I'll take this moment to thank you. And thank your wife. And thank all those people that supported you. So that you can be here today. And be a, a pillar for many others. So yeah, on behalf of the community. And the shamas. And all of us. Thank you so much, Slimy. Yeah, you're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening. Please share your feedback by emailing us at podcast at neshamas.org. We hope you'll be back for the next episode of the Neshamas podcast. This is Moshe Khanen wishing you a healthy and a meaningful day.